0: Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. Hello and welcome to season three of the IAB UK podcast. Back to brighten up these long winter days with lively debate, marvellous guests and as ever, a healthy dose of industry bants for good measure. I'm James Chandler, Chief Marketing Officer here at the IAB and thank you for joining us as we take on trending topics and dig into the digital detail with those most in the know. We're off to a flying start this week with author and futurist Tracy Follows, who paid us a visit to cut through the noise of New Year predictions and give her expert view on the game-changing technology and innovation set to quite literally take off in the 2020s. We covered everything from space travel to social cooling, but I started by asking Tracy what trend predictions haven't come true yet one of
1: the big things that didn't quite follow through was VR. Mm. So virtual reality, I mean, I remember years ago people saying, is it going to be a big thing? And... I always thought it's more long term future than fad, yeah. um, and I think that's that's kind of been borne out partly because of the technology, and the infrastructure that's required, but partly because of the content and yeah. just it, it's it's not its time yet. But I think we've seen snippets of it, um, and I think it'll be back. Like many of these sort of innovations, yeah. they come, they might be seen as failures or didn't quite weren't quite the huge successes people had hoped for but they come back in another iteration later down the line
0: is is the sort of the the physical tech the sort of the hardware and the technology is one bit but i guess people is the other thing are people ready for vr and all it brings Uh, we've got a need in our lives for it yeah
1: that's exactly the 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 point isn't it i mean i I, i've done some research on this with um sort of younger consumers and i think there is definitely a willingness um and an appetite for Mm. immersive media and i think when you look at some of actually when you look at some of the for Forecasts. it's forecast even over the next few years to be a hundred billion dollar wow. industry globally but but I think there are there's also reticence among consumers they don't want to be who immersed in something Uh, so another with them, they've said oh it's fantastic it'll be just like you're at the event or you'll be in the experience how exciting is that but also um how do i get out yeah (laughs) how do i switch it off when i'm in it Um, and so i think you know there's that and there's some i think there's some concerns around mental health issues Mm -hmm. and we don't probably yet know um, what it's doing to us and our sort of sensory makeup and our brain uh, but that's all I mean that makes it really interesting but I think there's two sides to it and we're not ready yet for it probably
0: anything else that caught your eye maybe that that didn't quite work out we were talking about glasses a bit earlier maybe google glasses a bit ahead of its time perhaps
1: i think so but i think i think that again will will come back um you you can just see that there are it's it's spawned a lot of other companies in fact i saw um i saw something the other day about uh, a contact lens and then i mean there's there's a lot of work going on in this area in la Mm. um i think you know I think holograms is interesting. I think augmented reality, um, sort of taking the content, liberating it if you like from the actual device. I think is going to be really
0: key. And do you think we'll end up getting a bit liberated from our own devices as well? This idea Mm. that you know anywhere you look, whether it's you know tube carriage or people going across the street, it's it's head down. It's it's a little bit of plastic and glass in your hand increasingly we'll start to sort of unpair ourselves from that?
1: I, I think so. I mean, increasingly, unfortunately, we're disconnected. Mm. We're disconnected from our environment, mm. disconnected from the other people around us. I mean, how many people have walked into you when you're walking down the street just yeah. because they're, yeah, yeah. they're staring at their phone? Um, so the trick is, to how can you still be um, consuming media without being dis- disconnected and distracted Mm. from the world you're actually in. Um, And I think, you know, if you look at things like um, Project Jacquard um, with Google and Levi's, once you've got that ambient computing and once you've got gesture control and voice recognition and you're starting to control um, the information, the communication, the notifications, if Mm. you like, through your own body and your own senses, um, eventually you won't need that smartphone, little handheld device, and I think uh, eventually it will disappear. It it could well be that by the end of this decade, you know, the handheld smartphone device Mm. is looking a little bit (laughs) passe.
0: And what's that other brilliant project that's out of the same team from Google, which is all around... Um, it's all around touch and sort of haptics and gesture mm. where it's the same theme as Project Jacquard but again it's that sort of the idea that at the moment I need to sort of physically press something but perhaps sort of gesture and haptics have kind of been overlooked a little bit. Oh, Voice is the more popular one maybe. I, to I,
1: I totally agree and we were talking earlier about um, virtual reality. Once you've got haptics with virtual reality when you are absorbed in that world but you can also touch things it actually changes your balance it changes the way your body reacts in a physical environment um and I, i very much agree with you i mean sensory and sensors is going to be one of the big sort of four or five definitive themes of the next decade
0: yeah What's well, a wonderful segue because we we can we can remove ourselves from the last decade and maybe think about uh, what's coming this year. Uh, things that have I mean the the dust has sort of blown over on things like CES, which we all get extremely excited about. I don't know if there's Did anything. Did you go? I didn't go. Mm-hmm. I, I've been before, and it's it's mm. that it's a sort of time of year, and it's that. I went around the sort of the, the innovation bit. Mm. Rob Norman at Group M used to do this amazing tour around the innovation bit and it's where you're seeing all the connected mattresses and the sex toys and all this sort of stuff. And I think when you're there you are just in awe of all this stuff. Mm. And then you know, you mm. get on the plane to come home and you're a bit like, but sort of, mm. so what i don't understand how i'm gonna use all that because
1: everybody needs an ai enabled toothbrush
0: yeah yeah, t- yeah totally because <laughs> i was really rubbish at brushing my teeth before and my dentist was wrong about it, everything but i wonder whether there's anything either from ces or you know the multitude of trends decks that we see for 2020 they've all landed now anything that's caught your eye, you think yeah that, that that that's probably most likely or or indeed totally unlikely
1: um i th- i think one of the Things that she's a bit of a carryover from the last decade is probably around synthetic. Um, I mean, synthetic everything, as far um. as I can gather. Everything from synthetic meat. Um, I mean, the whole idea of sort of lab-grown meat, synthetic biology. Um i mean that is really starting to take Mm -hmm. off for lots of different reasons reasons now not everywhere obviously but but certainly um in the west um and i think obviously that's playing into some of the climate crisis narrative um as well as the vegan vegan um trend um so, so there's that and i think um if we think about it in in media terms we've obviously and i was was writing about this last week actually we're thinking about digital influencers Mm. now we're actually creating digital influencers that don't actually exist in reality of course um and there's whole photographic libraries of you know synthetic people if you like who are going to then be posing um or used in in media content um and so just because we have the ability to synthesize with ai and and other technologies now we probably will trial it Mm. um and I think that's that's probably one of the biggest themes.
0: And, and, and link, link to that, we had... Um, uh, there was a talk from Nina Schick, who does a sort of mm. lot of poli- political commentary, that kind of thing. She's talking about deep fakes at our, mm-hmm. our trust conference. I mean, the thing that struck me was not just the sophistication of it, but you don't actually need to be that clued up in terms of code and all the that's rest of it to access easy. this stuff, yeah. which is... I think her point was, actually, there's a whole political thing going on with this, which is worrying. The more worrying thing is, you know, me duping you, because now I've got the ability mm-hmm. like, to... Day to day people duping each other, yeah. duping your boss, all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. but
1: um, so the problem is, how do you know when you've been duped? Yeah, hundred I mean, percent. That's yeah. it. Um, and I, I think I've said, I've said before, I really believe that there'll be a burgeoning industry in, let's call it, media forensics, mm. where literally there is somebody trying to uncover who is the. Um, protagonist of this deep fake imagery or whatever it might be but at the same time you've kind of got experiments going on um like in china where they've got an ai news rate newsreader
2: mm.
1: he he it isn't real but to all intents and purposes they're delivering the news and it's an ai anchor on on the main news and really how different is that to a deep fake so on one hand you've kind of got the permission to do this synthetic media, these deep fakes, whatever you want to call them, on the other hand obviously they can run amok um, and you're never going to know whether they're necessarily authentic or verified or not so I think there's going to have to be some sort of industry Mm. that's going to help us um, interrogate that. Yeah, interesting
0: and and do you think, I mean if you're if you're in the business of being a trusted voice, if you're Mm. a, a trusted news brand for example or you're a um, a, a brand that's been trusted for years, and you've built that trust. You're sort of on the on the upside of that, I guess, because will people just you know retreat to things they trust rather than you know perhaps things that they don't? Mm-hmm. Is that is that an, an obvious point to make? No,
1: no, I, I think that's right. But I think um, having again researched a little bit around this, I think most people are actually going back to their own networks of real people and going, mm. "What do you think about this? Does this make sense to you?" Yeah. So there's there's a check in in the real world because really the virtual world is just so uncertain now and i I guess actually that is one of the big again defining themes of the the next decade it's virtuality Mm. and the more we are inhabiting and communicating and dealing with the virtual world um the less we've got a kind of Physical touchstone. Um, the less we can kind of go. Well, I know that's true because look, I've got the mm. reference points in the real physical world. Well, we w- we won't have that necessarily as we continue through this decade, and the the reference point is getting further and further away. So yeah. then, how do you know what is true? <laughs> what are the sta- what are the virtual standards in a virtual world?
0: Wow, um, James. Very <laughs> good <laughs> question. Not one we're going to answer on this this episode of the podcast. Um, uh, similarly, link talk to us about social cooling. You've written about that. Oh, social
1: cooling. Um, yes. Um, so, I think this is um, a- another futurist friend of mine had put me onto this um, from Flux Trends, and she said she she was saying that actually the more and we were discussing the problem around how people are not able to necessarily say what they really think because um, you've got sort of um, the uh, offence archaeologists let's say (laughs) doing their work in the social media realm um so people are very i mean my tweets auto delete just a fyi (laughs) (laughs) um but you've got all of that going on so people are becoming very reticent of saying what they really think because obviously as soon as you do some people may agree with you an awful lot of people won't and and they'll make a big deal of that as possible um so it is obviously the outrage economy um (laughs) And so, actually, there's this social cooling where people aren't going online; they're not necessarily leaving mm. reviews. And we were talking about it in, um, in a commercial sense that increasingly, you aren't just leaving a review about your driver or somebody who's you know, um, delivered a service; mm. they're leaving the review of you. So, increasingly, yeah. it's you know, it's yeah. Uber drivers saying, "No, I'm not going to take you," or it's yeah, you just don't fit in with them, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of the. Interesting reversal mm. of review fortune, and so the social calling is actually. No, I'm not going to engage in that. I'm not going to opine on that. Yeah. I'm not going to recommend or review that. I'll just leave it for the real world. That's
0: interesting. Yeah. So it's sort of retreat to the real world, which is which is amazing. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff that's come up that either we've talked about on our stages and, mm. and as an industry. The AA are doing some brilliant work on trust, specifically in advertising. There's that Ipsos Mori poll where we're at the bottom of the league table, we're under politicians, we're under estate agents in terms of professions that you trust there's lots of stuff uh, being done to to tackle that but trust isn't going to go away trust in institutions trust in advertising this is a thing that's going to continue right
1: trust is going to get ever more important Mm. And so for the brands that have got trust already it's really about what's their strategy for maintenance of trust Mm. in a world that is changing getting increasingly virtual increasingly assisted increasingly autonomous um, and uncertain
0: Mm. Um, and is it, is it just those legacy brands? Is it the Unilevers and the Coca Cola's and the Nikes who've got years and years of building that brand and you know people know that it stand for? Or is it, you know, we're doing lots of work around D2C and building mm. brands, specifically in different ways. Do they need to earn that trust in the same way or do they go about it in completely different ways around just, you know, delivering brilliant service or products that people yeah. want?
1: Or maybe they've got a hard job in a way mm. um, because. Some of those legacy brands had consumers um, and these newer startup brands and um, they, they've got users. So it really, their yeah, loyalty kind of depends on every single interaction yeah. every single day because yeah. you want somebody to come back. Um, and, and I think you've seen with the likes of Uber that it's it can quite quickly go wrong. Yeah. And then there's been overinflated valuations for some of these startups, yeah, and the yeah, likes of WeWork. Yeah. And you sort of think, actually, that massively affects trust as well, mm. because then we see it as a giant Ponzi scheme. And then you yeah. kind of go, well, actually, I I'm not going to use the service yeah. because overall the ethos seems a bit
0: askew. Yeah. In the same article in the, the Albright magazine, you were talking about how emotions would start to trump facts, mm. which is quite They have already, haven't they? Yeah. Tell us a bit more about that. <laughs>
1: I just think the, the more that we're starting to l- rely on biometrics, we're starting to rely on that as a sensory experience. Mm. And especially so in a network where there is no hierarchy and therefore no authoritative word on something. Um, you kind of trust your own network. And if you all feel the same way about something then essentially that's true for you. And I think it's just an interesting thing that's happening with the internet because it has networked our society Mm. that actually your perception, your perspective is just... It is part of the network yeah. it isn't what you've been told by some authoritative figure at the top of some sort of hierarchical yeah. structure which you know, i look back on that sometimes and i think oh that was quite comforting <laughs> 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 even if people were telling us something that wasn't true at least we all thought it was
0: <laughs> And do you think do you think it plays out in advertising i mean i mean a- 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 advertising and you've made a career this has always been to get people to feel something connect mm. with them on an emotional level mm. i guess I guess the stick that digital gets hit with a lot is it becomes very fact-based, very rational, very bottom of the funnel stuff or at least can Mm. be in terms of trying to get you just to nudge you over the line i use all my other stuff you know posh telly ads and stuff to do all the um the the brand building and the softer stuff but do you think that you know the emotions over facts does play out into advertising is it that brands just just try and appeal purely on an emotional level now or or is there still room for that
1: oh no i i always think there's a reason to believe Mm. i put them old-fashioned sort of planning um templates you know you've always have your emotional benefit and your functional benefit don't you and it's when those two when there's a lovely interplay between those two and they're both true and resonant Mm. um for more than just one person or what you know um then they're they're, it feels particularly profound and 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 affecting i think there might be a difference between emotion over time and emotion in a moment Mm. I, i think you know maybe it's a kind of in the digital environment it's like we can't Deal with all of this adrenaline all the time, you know, up and down and up and down, and all of these emotions, Um, and we need to spread things out over time. Which is what some of the the older brands, um, successful consumer brands, have done. They've built emotion over time, so that they are. They're touching on things that feel familiar to you as you mm. move through your life. Not just, this minute I feel this, the next minute I feel that. Are you playing <laughs> S- with me, S- the internet? Stop it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we, we, oh, we, we, we could talk for so long, but we're running out of time. I, I would love... Um, so something we're going to ask everyone who comes on the podcast for Series 3 is... Um, based on their specialism, so if your specialism is the future, what can people listening to it read or listen to or watch that's going to, you know, um, uh, help them understand the future oh, a bit okay. better?
1: or oh, the future's having a moment, isn't it? <laughs> Everything's the future of dot, dot, dot. Um, but personally, what I am just loving at the moment is the NASA podcast. Oh, wow. There's talk about so many interesting areas so for example some of the medical um stuff they're doing the deep health the deep space health care some of the experiments um understanding what it's going to take even the communications mm. so there's a 10 minute delay from here to mars oh, or wow. when the sun comes round, you know there's going to be a week and a half where no one can communicate with anyone on mars yeah it's starting to give us to go back to one of our other themes a different perspective and i think You know, when you fly off in your spacecraft and you look back at the Earth, you get that overview effect Mm. of, wow, it's so amazing and we're all one humanity, really. And I think what's interesting about the next 10 years as we pursue some of these projects is, hopefully, that might bring us together as a society thinking about our, our place in a wider universe yeah. um, but anyway, uh, if you can't get on your spacecraft, um, <laughs> you can listen to the podcast, the NASA podcast is absolutely unbelievable. Brilliant, it's a,
0: it's a brilliant recommendation and what, what a wonderful way to end <laughs> Ooh, fantastic. Um, Tracy Follows, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Oh well, thank you Back to the present, and if you're an avid IAB follower, you'll know that boosting trust in digital advertising is a massive priority for us this year Fresh from our Digital Trust Forum at the British Museum, I caught up with IBUK Chairman and all-round industry hero, Richard Eyre, about how we can turn the tide on falling trust rates. Welcome, Richard Eyre. Thank you. For the first time, we've done two seasons and we've not managed to get you on. Uh, but here you are, uh, and talking about trust, uh, and we're off the back of the Digital Trust Forum. Uh, I'd love to get your take on, uh, across your career, has trust always been important?
3: Uh, no. Actually, it hasn't, because probably for the first 30 years of my career, we were, uh, uh, our relationship with the consumer was a monologue. So, so we threw stuff at them, at which they either picked up or they didn't, but there was no feedback loop. And so, I mean, we would talk about, you know, having a relationship with the consumer and having a dialogue with the consumer, but it never was. We, we just pushed stuff out there, and we relied on terribly poor research, to get a rough idea of how much had stuck, which meant that there was really understanding return on investment was a pretty basic Mm. task. But actually, we were on transmit and the consumer was on receive.
0: And that presumably changed when the internet came along because it was two-way
3: all of a sudden. Well, yes. And I was extremely excited by that because my first job back in 1975 was as a media planner uh, and as a media planner, for me, the task of establishing that relationship or establishing something better than wafting advertising past people's general direction became a sort of you know mission. Mm. Um, and I got extremely excited about the potential of online advertising to do exactly that and to create relationships. And if you listen to any of my early engaged talks, they're all about that subject yeah. because it obsessed me. Um, and so imagine my horror when people didn't find it helpful when we retargeted them um, and found it creepy when we you know, used cookies from what they've been looking at to place a relevant ad in front of them. Yeah. Now, for all of my career we had we'd seen research that said if you can hit somebody with a relevant ad at the right time that's the moment they're going to be really interested in your ad but the the report back from out there from the great from the great uh, marketplace was this is creepy we don't like it yeah has it gone too far in your opinion Yes, it, it clearly has because people don't like it, and mm-hmm. you know one of the uh, one of the sources of the loss of trust as the uh, in the advertising association's research is bombardment, and, and I think that's what pe- people are saying when you know I, I just kind of get out from under mm-hmm. uh, you know the TV ad or the lawnmower ad if I'm looking for to buy one of those kinds of things It's just yeah. like the advertising is suddenly highly intrusive. This is what we were always going for. We, you know, I, I would tell clients that this campaign is going to be highly intrusive. So now we've got highly intrusive, and it's too intrusive, if you like. Yeah. It's, it's too much in people's faces, and they, call them, they, they regard themselves as being bombarded. So, so yeah, these tools, uh, w- we do need to find a much more sophisticated way of using them. Yeah. You, you talked about previous engages. There's, there's other
0: platforms you, that you've spoken on. You, you always had a sense this was going to kind of come, I guess, you always had a sense that it, was, that it was important.
3: Yes, it, it seemed to me, I, I can't remember when it was, I, I, I certainly at the Isbar conference in mm. 2014, I did a thing on relationships. And, uh, and I said, that's what we now had the opportunity to create using online tools. Um, but it wasn't hard, because if you could create a personal relationship with another person, you could create a brand relationship. All the rules are the same. Yeah. I think I got it into my head by that point, that brand relationships were a thing. Brand relationships was something you could re- realistically achieve, but they required very different behaviour from the brand than our previous behaviour, which was just chucking out coverage and frequency yeah. and hoping for the best.
0: Yeah, um, Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure.
2: IAB UK.
0: Can you believe that's the first time Richard's been on the IAB podcast? Incredible. And of course, you can expect to hear more from us on this subject in the coming months. If you want to buff up on what is already being done in this area, key takeouts from the Digital Trust Forum are on our website, iabuk.com forward slash trust. And now, for a new feature, I like to call slide into our DMs, where we invite our favourite members in for some untaxing interrogation, as well as throwing in a go on the IAB office slide. This week, Remy Patel, Buzzfeed's head of Buzz, gave it a trial run. Welcome, Remy. Hi. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me, as everyone says on a podcast. (laughs) I do. It's
0: it's like the perfect don't know. Tell us what you do at BuzzFeed.
2: So at BuzzFeed, I am what you call a content lead, so I am the person that looks after all the content in BuzzFeed UK, uh, except for the news arm, which also includes celebrities. So your quizzes, your lists, your lifestyle pieces, your shopping.
0: And so you get involved in stuff like Tasty, some of the other bits within BuzzFeed as well.
2: Yeah, so we're very collaborative at BuzzFeed UK, so it means that, you know, I've been there for five years, so I've pretty much done everything there is to do at BuzzFeed (laughs) UK, including I've made a Tasty video. I've been in tasty videos Um, I actually made a bacon naan (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then I was actually in we did a series for tasty called repeat the recipe and I had to basically recreate so our tasty chef Chloe showed me how to make a spotted dick and then I she left me by myself and I had to repeat the recipe
0: you've seen her do it once
2: yeah I saw her do it once and then um, I had to try and do it myself Um, (laughs) with actually pretty good results watch the Video. it's on youtube okay nice
0: um we've got a bunch of questions to ask you specifically about buzzfeed today okay and uh and you're easily the best place uh, best place person to answer them so um what's the most successful quiz that's ever been on buzzfeed bear in mind there's been loads
2: there's been loads i think actually globally the most successful quiz was which state do you belong in oh. i think i think don't you know i need to check this but i think it did like 26 million views or something crazy like that.
0: That, that that's pretty crazy. yeah it's pretty
2: crazy and then i guess in the uk there was one called how much of a picky eater are you ah. and it's a checklist of all the things that you've you've tried right. or don't haven't tried or um and it's crazy because that i think that did like 16 million wow. or something yeah some
0: disgusting stuff in there as well um the sort of the classic question what makes something go viral
2: what makes something go viral um essentially i guess what makes something go viral is a piece of content that uh, evokes a strong emotional response so that could be like it made you laugh, it mm. could make you feel gooey inside, it could shock you because maybe it um, you know, taught you something you didn't know before or it provided uh, utility so maybe you were like, oh my god I need this now mm. or I was looking for something and I found it so it's evoking that strong emotional response and I think when people share something, you know, essentially what they're doing is they're sharing something they're saying, hey, this says something about me. Yeah. Um, And I guess it has to speak to their identity. So I think that's kind of the um the sweet combination, you know, it evokes a strong emotional response, and it says something about who you are, and, and that, it, that compels you to share it.
0: And it's not always video; people just assume it's video, mm. but of course, it could easily be listicle or a quiz or. You know, I mean, in
2: many rhythm. cases, it it is. Yeah. I mean, really, BuzzFeed, when it launched, you know, in the US initially, it, it was the lists, it was the quizzes. Yeah. That's that was actually the viral content. That yeah. was that kind of started this whole sort of, you know viral content wave yeah
0: uh food quiz or disney quiz what does better
2: oh i would say food quiz because Mm -hmm. food is obviously universal you know i can you know i'm limited to know you know which disney princess i am yeah but you know i could be various types of bread cheese (laughs) you know (laughs) salami
0: which disney princess are you just out of interest
2: I think I, I think I Mulan, which I was very happy with, you know. My Um, my Disney
0: knowledge extends to sort of Frozen and Frozen 2, and I think that's probably about it.
2: I mean, that's fair.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ten-year challenge or Dolly Parton challenge?
2: I would say Dolly Parton challenge. Really? I think because... Even here? Yeah, I would say... I would say, well, one, it's Dolly Parton, everybody loves her. And two, the actual format of this is, it, it kind of lets people make a meme of themselves. Right. Tenure Challenge, it's sort of like comparing. Yes. And it can be obviously very funny, but I think with the Dolly Parton Challenge, you're, you're encouraging people to meme themselves and there's a lot more fun that can be had with that.
0: Yeah. What's the weirdest thing you've ever learned about yourself from a BuzzFeed quiz?
2: I've been at BuzzFeed for five years. <laughs> I've taken probably every quiz <laughs> You could possibly imagine. Do you road
0: test them as like an editorial team where you sort of push it out yeah. to the floor and work out what... So
2: I have a team that will make... I will make stuff too and we'll send it to each other. Yeah. And we'll be like, you know, did you did you get the right type of bread? Do you feel like that <laughs> that is who you are? Like we definitely... A lot of thought goes into BuzzFeed quizzes. Um, so I would say, I guess, you know, according to BuzzFeed, I'm a 17-year-old panini... With eight kids, who is going to get married in twenty
0: twenty one? Wow! Yeah, eight kids, not even married yet. What a I know, incredible world I mean, we live well, in. Well,
2: modern day world. <laughs> what does um? What,
0: what would a typical day look like for you guys? Do you have almost like a sort of traditional in inverted commas editorial meeting where you'll sit down and you'll work out right? This is the stuff that we want to talk about in a kind of similar way, without the urgency, I guess, of what the news guys do because they're reacting to stuff that's happening. Do, do you sort of do that on a daily basis? Is it sitting right? Like, this is gonna be big, or we think oh there's a there's a film, and actually mm. it's all gonna be around Disney can or something like that uh, d- just to explain how that that sort of process works,
2: yeah, I mean, we certainly do try to sit down almost every day we have brainstorms every week Um, and I think in general as teams we're very collaborative and chatty and we all get on really well so a lot of actually how we sort of come up with content is by chatting to each other you know BuzzFeed has this you know our sort of motto is you know explaining something to somebody as if you were talking to a friend in a pub or um, you know if you're chatting to your friends in a pub and something excites everyone and everyone's arguing that's something that could be a great piece of content and it, it works very similarly in the workplace where we'll suddenly start chatting about something random it'll become a thing and then suddenly we've got all these content ideas and and ultimately that's what works really well because you know we're humans making content for other humans people just like ourselves so that's usually the approach we just sort of chat to each other and see what's going on i guess we
0: get lots of chat especially in this industry about particularly with tech and algorithms and you know being able to um, all the scaremongering is that we'll be able to replace what humans do. Mm. But from what you're saying, absolutely, you need to... the sort of human truths that only humans can understand that can then go and write about. So there isn't there isn't a view of the world where a machine could, will one day be able to do what you do, right?
2: I think it goes back to, like, what makes something vir- viral or shareable. Mm. Like, if you... Only a human can really understand how another human c- might react or yeah. might have an, an emotional response. Otherwise, you're just making a piece of content based on some keywords somebody sees it and then is not moved to share it because it's not had that connection with them and you need another human behind that to really sort of do that
0: it's a brilliant point that unbelievably is all we've got time for
2: i really enjoyed that. we could could, could, talk about about. this all day
0: thank you so much for coming in remy you
2: are most welcome
0: and uh uh yeah that's remy patel content lead from buzzfeed uk thank you so much thank you And that's all for episode one. Thanks very much for joining me. And don't forget to share, rate us and spread the word. If you want more information on what the IAB does or how you can get in touch, find us online at iabuk.com or at iabuk on Twitter and Instagram. And we'd love your feedback. You can share that with us by emailing podcast at iabuk.com. We'll be back in two weeks' time, where we'll be going all in on measurement. But in the meantime, get ready to celebrate the long-awaited return of National anti click through Day, back by popular demand next Wednesday, the 12th of February. Keep an eye on IABUK.com and our socials for more.
2: IABUK,
3: building a sustainable future for digital advertising.